Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. We are actually in a series called Eternity is Real. And one of the big questions was, Ryan, are you going to talk about hell on Mother's Day? And the answer is no. So moms, you're safe. It's okay. We'll talk about heaven and hell. Specifically, we'll define next week what happens when I die. Literally, when you die and pass away from this planet, we're going to literally walk through what the Bible teaches us exactly what happens to you when you die. We're going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk about what hell might be like, what heaven might be like. And we're going to really get into kind of the nitty gritty of what happens in that intermediate place. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about the new heaven and the new earth. Amen. I don't know how this world going to end. The scripture gives us some inclination, but I'm not going to for a moment pretend that I know exactly what the book of Revelations is saying. So I won't for a moment say it's going to happen before this or after that or a thousand this. That's up to the Lord. And you can do all the podcasts and YouTube watching you want. They don't know either. So let's just be honest. At the end of the day, Jesus is going to come back. It'll be like a thief in the night. And we'll all be like, oh, right now? Like that's what's going to happen. So when that happens, when that moment does come, we're going to talk about in the fourth week, what happens when Christ returns and the new heaven and the new earth and what's going to happen to uh, the lake of fire and all that stuff. We're going to go there. It's going to be awesome. But today, don't worry. We're not going to go there. We're just going to talk about the earth today. We're going to talk about something else. And I wanted to just uh, bring to your attention just a little bit of what we chatted about last week. And last week, we, t- we, did, we really talked about really these messages build upon one another. So if you missed last week, I really want to encourage you, go back and listen. Listen to last week's message. It really lays a foundation for the coming series. This next few weeks. And uh, what, what, uh, what last week we talked about was misconceptions about heaven and hell. What, is the, what have we been taught about heaven and about hell? What have we been taught about these things? And what are some of the misconceptions we have? And so we learned a little bit more about that. And ultimately that we uh, often, as followers of Jesus, and fall asleep. We need to wake up and realize that this life is a, a permanent, is temporary. That this planet is not our real home. That heaven is our home. And that Paul encourages us to set our sights on heaven, not on the things of this earth, but of the things of heaven. This is how followers of Jesus live. This is how followers of Christ live. This is how disciples live their life. They know this life's important. They make the most of it. They realize that their family and their children and their careers and their future, all those things are important. But at the end of the day, they're not as important as what it looks like when we die because life starts, real life starts when you die. And so what we're going to talk about today is something that I really believe is at the core of, of every individual, uh, uh, I believe, on the planet. And I believe it doesn't stop when you get older. It doesn't stop when you start to get older. It doesn't stop when you reach this place. Now, I'm only 41 years old, so uh, those of you in the room who are older than me could probably speak to this. But from what I understand is that there's always this, what we're going to talk about today, I believe, is something continually that is happening in our heart, in our life, until the day that we die. And so what I want to talk to you about today is the idea about this earth. What is this earth all about? The reality is we all know that God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? 
Come on, who did that? God did that. It didn't happen after a bang, and it wasn't some random, foreign, weird God. It was His name is Jesus, amen? God created the heavens and the earth, and he created this euphoric environment called Eden. Eden was basically a, a type of heaven on earth, and it was literally heaven on earth, and humans uh, walked along the earth and talked with God and lived with God. They were a perfect, euphoric relationship with God, and things were perfect, and as we all know the story, we all know what happened. Moses wrote it, and the very first book of the Bible, we know that Adam and Eve were given a choice either to choose the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life. And we all know what got us into this mess was they did, they chose themselves over God. They chose the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what happened was is the moment they chose the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that's when sin entered the world. I know many of you know this today, but there might be some in the room who are new to the faith or don't know the Lord that don't realize how we got into this mess in the first place is that two individuals had a choice, serve God or serve yourself, and they chose themselves. And what happened was, is that the moment that they sinned and sin entered the world and they chose the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that is when sin entered the world, and I'll call it like a fog entered the planet. Before that, we saw things clearly. Before that, we understood things very clearly about life and about the purpose of life and identity and why we're on the planet and our relationship with God was pure and, and right before the Lord. Things were clear, but when sin entered the world, a hazy fog settled upon entire of humanity. Things became unclear. Things became unfuzzy. It was once clear and, and now it's not. And things have become confusing. And things have become frustrating. And things are not as clear as they used to be. And it feels as though there's this fog at times, even though I know God and I know his word and I go to church and I pray and I know all the things I need to do. Still, it feels like there's this sense of uh, dissatisfaction in my heart. It feels as though something is missing, even though I have a great life. Even though I've, I've got a great marriage and uh, things are going well and I've got that promotion and life's on the right trajectory and your, your stocks are doing good or you know, your mutual funds or whatever it is. Nathan can talk to you about that later. Like maybe they're doing good and if life's good and things are good and you're like, yes, but still, even after you go on that family vacation, even after you buy that new house, even after you see that great ministry built, still at the end of the day, there's something inside of us that just says, Something is just not right. There's just a sense of dissatisfaction. And the reason is because we are only seeing a glimpse of reality on this planet. We're only seeing a part of it. We are not seeing the whole picture. Have you ever had a vivid dream that was so real you thought you were in that dream? Last night I had a, I never have dreams. So if you like to interpret dreams, maybe you can interpret it for me. So you have the Joseph anointing. I had a dream last night that Tyler Seitz and I, and we were all in this leadership retreat or something. I don't know, a retreat for the church or a cookout or I don't know. And I was like, dude, let's go see this new property we bought as a church. It was a cool dream. The, it didn't end well though. <laughs> So I got into the car and this, I was driving this big truck, you know, those big like F-550s or whatever, those even things, you know, with two wheels on the back, you know, it was just this big, you know, I was driving it and, and I had a bunch of guys in the car. I just remember Tyler. I don't know what Tyler was there, but just Tyler Seitz, if you're here today, I'm going to stay away from you today. We went on a drive and all of a sudden I had to do a UE on, in the road and I did a UE and there was a semi truck coming with a bunch of concrete pallets on the back and it hit the ditch and the whole thing went, it just was a huge explosion. And I was like, oh my gosh. 
all these people went running to this thing. And I was like, oh, I, bet I wanted to run because I thought maybe I killed someone. And so I ran over there. And it was just a chaotic dream. And honestly, in the dream, I said to myself in the dream, Ryan, it's okay. It's just a dream. I was like, thank God, because I was very worried. I was going to get up anxious. You know when you get up from your dreams and your pulse is racing and you're anxious? See, sometimes life feels like it's so, like we feel like we're living in a dream where it feels so real, but we know that even though it feels real, and I know we realize that it's real. You know, if you've seen the movie, The Matrix, it feels a little bit like that. You know, it's like, are, like, what is going on? It feels like there's something going on underneath the surface with politics, with life, with war, with the world. Like it just feels like something's not right. This dissatisfaction on the depths of us, and we don't understand why that is. And the reality is, is because we don't see things clearly. Actually, Paul, we'll look at Paul's uh, text uh, multiple times today. And Paul actually talks about this all throughout his writings, identifies this idea that something is just not right on the earth. I, I would call it maybe dissatisfaction. Maybe even the word that I'm going to use today is frustration. There's this underbelly of frustration. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 12, look what Paul says. He says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Notice the word then. Then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, notice the word then, I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Here he's identifying, he says there is, a, it's like a puzzling reflection in a mirror. That when I look at life, it, it's like it's, I can see it, I can kind of make it out, but it's like a puzzling reflection. It, it doesn't quite make sense. There's a bit of distortion. Nothing seems to add up. I, I feel like if I just do one, two, three, then I'll get this, but it never turns out quite like that. Something is just puzzling in the world today. And in fact, Paul uses this word, this, this idea of a mirror. And mirrors in those days were, 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 were brass or bronze. And what they would do is this was a mirror in the New Testament. So when Paul was referring to a mirror, he was referring to this type of a mirror where when you look at it, if it's not polished really well, you can kind of see your face. You can kind of make out the detail. You can kind of understand what's going on. But the reality is you cannot quite perfectly make out exactly what you see. Another translation in the ESV, it says, for we now see in a mirror dimly or darkly. This actually here means the idea of unclear. The word darkly or dimly means unclear, unknown, obscure. See, the idea here is, is that there's a puzzling reflection of this planet where even though you finally have that child and you love that child, still the child doesn't satisfy even though you finally get that job and you get that promotion or you get that piece of property or you get that new boat or you get that new car or you get that new thing or you have more grandchildren. And it, it, don't get me wrong, it's amazing. In fact, it's probably the closest to heaven you'll ever be on earth. And you get to touch your children and be around them and your grandchildren. You get to be on vacation. You get to enjoy the, the fruits of your labor. Those things aren't bad. But at the end of the day, they just don't seem to satisfy. I can't quite make sense of this life. 
I can tend to feel confused. Have you ever felt, even though you're reading the Bible and you're praying and you're going to church and even though you're doing all the right things, still there's this underbelly sense of confusion? There's a sense of like, man, when is it gonna finally, when am I gonna finally arrive? When am I gonna finally get to the place where everything's just okay? When am I gonna finally get there when I got no more problems and no more drama and no more struggles? When am I gonna finally get there when I get to this place in my life or I get to the retirement age of my life or I get this level of my promotion or I finally get that job or that car? When am I gonna finally get to the place where this frustration and this confusion and this distortion will finally go away? And that feeling that just never satisfies, do I love God? Yes. Do I love my family? Yes. Do I love my job? Well, sometimes. <laughs> even though life is good, even though my career is good, even though my family is good, and I'm so grateful to God for all that I have, amen? Yeah. Even though that's the case, I just feel as though, I just can't put my finger on it. Something's not right. Now, as I mentioned, I like to refer this to as frustration. I believe women struggle with this for sure, but I, I believe that. I believe women have this underbelly of frustration, especially since uh, in, in a, today's day and age, when, when you know a lot of times a, a woman will have a child, you have kids, and sometimes people just assume you're going to stay home. My wife went back to work. Some wives go back to work. There's this dichotomy of working moms and non-working moms and all those things. All are fine. That's between you and Jesus. But it, often if we go to work and it's this frustration. I've never been a woman and I'm not a woman and you know I, I can identify that I am fully a man amen but you go to work and I, I for my wife you've even said man here I am working and yet I still feel this longing to be at home with my kids but I'm home with my kids and I definitely don't want to be with my kids or, or, or I know for men they struggle with this underbelly of frustration that no matter what career you do you still feel frustrated no matter, no matter how many children you can produce, you still feel this sense of, oof, it's just not quiet. I know that on the underbelly of our culture and on the underbelly of every person here, even if you love Jesus with all your heart, there's this constant sense of, I call it frustration. It's just like, man, it leaves these existential questions. Man, what is life all, really all about? I'm 40 years old, I don't know what life's about. I'm 40 years old, what am I gonna be when I grow up? It leaves us, well, why am I really here? And what's the point of it all? And these questions just never quite get solved. Life can be like a hamster wheel. You know what it is. You know, you go to bed. You know, some of you go to bed on time. You go to bed at 9.30 so that you can lay in bed and watch that Netflix show that you don't want to tell over the people you watch because it's got bad stuff in it. But you're like, I don't watch that show. And then you go home and watch it. I get it. Joel does it all the time, whatever. <laughs> You go at 9.30, you go to bed, you wake up, you make that coffee, you drive through traffic, you get to work, you deal with the boss, you do the bills, you run the thing, you come back, oh, da, 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 da. you come back dinner at 5.30, get back, go to pursue night, come back to the thing, go to group, do this thing, okay, back. Ooh, does anyone ever feel like we're just like, oh, through an hamster wheel of life? It's just like we're on a treadmill. Doesn't it feel like that? Oh, man, I need to shake things up a little bit. Oh, my gosh, okay, you know what? I don't know what's going on. I feel frustrated. You know what? I'm just going to quit my job and be a missionary in Papua New Guinea for a year and then you get there and realize man I wish I had my job back what's going on oh man you know maybe I need to have more kids or maybe I need to get a bigger house or maybe I need to do more things we just on our treadmill and a hamster wheel of life and it's constantly feeling how do I get this frustration to go away maybe some guys think maybe I'll go get another wife or maybe some people think maybe I'll go and be with someone else or all of these complications and this drama and this shift in our life 
sometimes isn't because God is speaking to you, it's because you're frustrated. You're dissatisfied. So we make changes, drastic, radical differences in our life to try to stop the, the treadmill and hamster wheel of life. And we just keep doing it all to keep the company going and to keep the life happy and moving forward. And it just never seems to stop. And then finally I retire to that sunny place and finally do what I really want to do and realize it's still there. Man, I got to go back to work. So bored. I thought getting a tan and drinking iced tea all day was going to take all my worries away. Oh, I want to go back to the factory line and work on the hamster wheel once again. This incessant frustration in every person on the planet, it's not just, no, it's worse in people who don't know Jesus. That's why divorce rates are high. That's why, that's why uh, all that's going on in our world. Honestly, I believe a lot of the uh, you know, transgender conversation comes from this frustration. I believe a lot of the abortion, a lot of the major drama, the major issues we have in society today, I think can pinpoint it to this one thing called this frustration that's in our lives. And as followers of Jesus, we're so grateful to the Lord. This is one of the greatest reasons I love serving Jesus because if I didn't know Jesus and I had to live with that frustration, I don't know what I would do with myself. This frustration that we feel, uh, Paul, Paul actually describes it and literally uses this word in the Bible. In Romans chapter 8, verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Very fascinating. We were subjected to this frustration. That word frustration is an incredible word in the Greek. The word literally means useless or pointless. The word literally means a feeling of temporariness. This Greek word is where we get our modern word transient or homeless. This word means empty or vain. So what it's saying is that we were subjected to a sense of uselessness, to a sense of lack of fulfillment, to a sense of feeling that everything is temporary. And if you're here today saying, gosh, this is depressing, don't worry, there's a, a positive punchline. <laughs> my wife <laughs> this frustration God subjected us to it and he asked why Ryan Well, because of the fall remember we were created to be in Eden with perfect perfect understanding of who God is and the fall we were no longer allowed to be in the presence of God any longer due to our sin and so because of the fall and because of that reality, because we were removed from Eden and we realized in our hearts, we were created for more. We know we were created for more. And the fall causes a sense of frustration in our hearts. Look what Solomon says. Don't worry, honey, we're going to get there in a minute. But look at this gem here for a minute. Ecclesiastes 1, 2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Woohoo! See, what, what Solomon is doing in the scripture, Solomon has actually wrote the entire book of, of Ecclesiastes because he tried everything. He tried everything good, everything bad, and realized at the end, it just feels like, man, what's missing? Now, hang on for, with me for a minute. And then in, in verse or chapter three, he says this, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And then for the next seven verses, he talks about the ups and downs of life. 
He talks about the idea that there's love and there's hate and there's scattering and there's gathering and there's, there's tending and there's mending and there's weeping and there's laughter. And he says, listen, life happens. There's seasons of life that we face that cause great joy and great sadness. Life has moments of fulfillment and then there's no fulfillment. This is just the reality of life. But, but does anything truly satisfy? He's trying to point out this reality in James. Why do you, do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mystery it appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Life is short. It goes quick. What Ecclesiastes and Solomon is saying is that, listen, I've searched everywhere and found nothing will ever satisfy my life. And then he writes this in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. But he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. That means with the ups and downs of life, every high and low that you face, every lack of fulfillment and every moment of fulfillment, there's a moment where God is going to cause all things to come to culminate to a beautiful moment. And we might not understand it now and we might not get it now and it might cause us frustration and it might be frustrating to say, listen, God, I don't understand what's going on, this frustration that's inside of me, but guess what? God is going to make it beautiful in its time. And then he says this, he, God, has set eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from the beginning and the end. He says this, that eternity has been written in our heart. We possess an innate knowledge that there is something more to life than what we can see and experience in the here and now. And this is why it's so incredible, moms and dads and men and women in the room, followers, of, to be a follower of Jesus, because without Christ, this frustration would overwhelm us. Yet because of Christ, we know that we don't have to live for today. Yes, enjoy life and invest for the future, build a beautiful home and live on a lake praise God and fish as much as you can hallelujah but recognize this there is something more than this there's something more than this reality look what Peter Peter Kreft said in his book heaven he says we long for Eden where we lost not just our youth but our identity who are we now we're not sure we all have amnesia we feel like the throne princes turn into frogs by a magic spell and awaiting another magic spell. The transforming kiss to restore our true identity. Earth just doesn't smell like home. However good a road it is, however good a motel it is, however good a training camp it is, it's not home. Heaven is. Play with that thought for a minute. Heaven is home. Experiment with the thought. Feel the jam. Look at the picture. Explore the house before deciding whether to buy. Heaven means not just a pleasant place, but our place. Not just a good place, but a, but, not, but a good place for us. We fit there. We are fully human there. It's like a fish in an aquarium. It's very beautiful, but we all know that's not where that fish was intended to live. And we understand that, that what Paul is trying to help us understand here is that this dissatisfaction that we've been subjected to, the, 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 it, is, it, is, it is appeased and satisfied by not setting our eyes on temporary things. Because what happens is when we're frustrated, our eyes go off of heaven and onto earth. How do we make it better? How do I do more? How self-help conferences and we go to self-help books and we look for relationships and we look for other things and we just dig into the world. Okay, I'm gonna just put my roots down into the world and try to find it. When the reality is the Lord, the Bible teaches us to set our sights on heaven because we know that that is the only thing that will satisfy the, the longing in our heart because that eternity was set in our heart. It's a hole of longing for the home that truly belongs to us. 
Look what he says in Romans 8, 20. He says, for the creation was subjected to frustration in hope, say in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It says, listen, the reason there is this frustration so that you have a hope of a better future. So don't give up on your marriage and go find another wife. Don't quit your job and move to Florida or, or Papua New Guinea or, you know, wherever you might want to move to. Now there's any problem for them. Atlanta, Georgia is beautiful. So I just want to say that. That's really close to home. I don't mean that. Don't allow your frustration to dig you into the temporary realities of this planet. Recognize that the purpose of the frustration is to give us a hope that one day I'm going to experience the freedom and glory that was intended for me in Eden. Here's the issue. As I mentioned, we just get frustrated. We do all these things. We pray more. We do more. And life becomes that treadmill. We need to know that this frustration, here we go. Here's the good part. We need to know that this frustration you feel is not intended to harm you or hurt you. God did not subject you to this because he doesn't like you. It feels like that sometimes. He didn't subject you to this because he's like some, you know, sick scientist doing experiments on human rats. He, does not, he didn't do this to hurt you or to harm you. Do you want to know why he did this? He did this to, 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 to help you in the moments of frustration that you've been subjected to because of humanity. In fact, those moments of frustration that you're feeling are the Holy Spirit prompting you to put your eyes back on him. Holy Spirit prompting us to turn your frustration to expectation. Prompting us to turn our sadness to joy, to turn our frustration to freedom. I'm gonna read this verse here today and I'm gonna use the message paraphrase and I do that to reiterate the point that I just read. Look at in Romans chapter eight. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens all around us we observe a pregnant creation the difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs but if it's not all only around us listen it's within us the spirit of God is arousing within us we're also feeling the birth pangs these sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance and that's why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We're enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectation. And meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right, right alongside helping us. If we don't know how to or what to pray for, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our worldless sighs and our aching groans. And he knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, knows we're frustrated and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. When you feel this inner frustration in your heart, know that it's the Holy Spirit prompting you to get your eyes off of the earth and back onto heaven. 
Every time you feel that frustration, don't make a major life decision. Don't make major changes. Don't recluse yourself from community. Don't do the opposite. Just say, okay, God, this frustration is Holy Spirit, your way of wooing me and prompting me back into relationship with you to be reminded that I was not created for this planet. I was created for heaven with you. And one day I will be with you. But until then, Holy Spirit, I don't even know what to pray for. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? And the Holy Spirit begins to intercede on your behalf. When you're feeling frustrated and you're feeling disconnected and you're feeling lost, we recognize that the Holy Spirit is right there and ready to help you. C.S. Lewis said this, all your life is an unattainable ecstasy has hovered just beyond the grasp of our consciousness. The day is coming when you will wake to find beyond all hope that you've attained it or else that it was within your reach and you've lost it forever. Our last verse today. Since you've been raised to life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits on the place of honor at God's right hand, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life, say real life, is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Don't let that frustration derail you from your walk with the Lord. Don't let that frustration cause a wedge in your marriage. Don't let that frustration cause you to make some crazy decision or do some crazy things. Stay on track and recognize it's God's way of getting your attention back on Him. Turn that frustration into expectation. All right, Lord, I don't see it. I don't understand it. But my faith, I know I'm going to heaven and I'm going to be in an eternity with you forever. And then everything I'm feeling right now is just a temporary moment. It, it does not even compare to what's about to come when I come to meet you in heaven. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet for a moment. Let me pray. Come on, we want to open up our uh, now smaller altar. <laughs> if you'd like prayer today, we want to pray for you. If you're going through something in your life, and we have a prayer team as I dismiss you. I would love to pray for you and encourage you today. So don't hesitate to come forward or receive prayer if you need it. Let me pray for us today as we end our time. Lord, we want to say thank you. God, thank you that you had this planned all along. You knew what was going on. Thank you, God, that you've given us answers to these moments of frustration in our lives, this dissatisfaction. I just pray for every uh, mom in the room, every, every woman, every man, father, every person today who's in the room today feeling this utter sense of frustration about their life, this dissatisfaction, this sense, God, that they feel. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would begin to prompt their heart, convict them. Lord, reveal in their hearts right now, Lord, exactly what it is you're trying to do. Bring them closer to you, Holy Spirit. And we just say, Father, we just submit this frustration to you. We say, God, thank you that you're, you are with us and you're guiding us and you're leading us in this season, Father. And we love you with all of our hearts in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said, amen.